0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Good morning, church. Please be seated. Uh, My name is Mark, one of the leaders here at the White House campus. thankful to be back up to bring you God's Word this morning. And so, happy Thanksgiving. Hope yours went great. Uh, Ours was very eventful. Um, Ours had everything from dog bites to uh, concussion. Uh, We had that in the family. I think two or three ER visits, uh, plus one for the dog. So, uh, it was pretty eventful, but nonetheless, it was always good to see our family and friends and to be here on the kickoff of Advent. Uh, I love this time of year because it is always such a reminder of everything that we are doing that we look at the world and we see everything that is wrong with it but advent always reminds me that everything that is wrong in the world it has an expiration date and that hope is coming and it has come and it will uh, come again but this morning also we're going to be closing up our series on the god of abraham isaac and jacob so in your bibles find genesis 49 we're going to pick up the very last of that chapter into chapter fifty. And if you notice something, last week we were in chapter 35. And now all of a sudden we are skipping, what is it, about 16 chapters or so that we're going all the way to 49. And that is the section that's all about Joseph. But Joseph not being one of the patriarchs, we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But do you remember all that happened? I read through it again this week that in chapter 37, this 17-year-old kid has a dream. And what does he do? He goes and brags to his brother. Not a great choice for him. They get jealous. They sell him into slavery. He goes off to Egypt. He gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown in prison. He meets two guys there. He interprets their dreams. They have a plan. When we get out, we'll tell everybody about you. And they don't. Years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And they remembered, oh yeah, there's this guy named Joseph and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. He rises to power in Egypt. A famine hits. His brothers come down. There's this massive reunion with them. And so when I read through that story this week again of Joseph, I was just reminded about something, about how important it is that we are to constantly trust, we are to believe, we are to obey, even when Life is not perfect when it is difficult and things are not what we desire. And I think that's what I see through the section here on Joseph. So turn with me to Genesis 20 or 49. We're going to pick up in verse 28 because this is all about the burial, the death and burial of uh, the last patriarch of Jacob. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to call Jacob Joseph and I'm going to call Joseph Jacob. It's just going to happen. Just know that's who we're talking about this morning is Jacob and we are going to see this picture of faith and trust and kids I know this is one of the words that we can say often and but we have to make sure we know what we mean when we use those terms and I thought about this week that you know there's the trust might be this way you know mom or dad says hey you know what uh tonight I'll take you to get ice cream and All you have to do is the parents say, hey, it's time to go eat ice cream. And every kid grabs their coat, they run out the door, and they get in the car, and they're ready to go. And why is that? It's because they believe, they're trusting that what the parents said is actually going to happen. Imagine if all of a sudden dad said, hey, we're going to go for ice cream. You get excited, you get in the car, and all of a sudden you pass by where you like to go for ice cream, and you pull into the dentist's office. You know, it's not going to take long and go, ah, next time, maybe not so. And so there's this thing called misplaced trust. And I think the greatest picture of all is Charlie Brown. Every this time of year, I think about these shows. You remember what Lucy's always trying to get Charlie to do? Kick the football. Every time, hey, come here, Charlie, and kick the football. And every time what he's doing, he runs up, he's going to kick the football. At the last moment, Lucy pulls the football back. And this goes on, and you would think after two or three times Charlie would get get the picture, but he doesn't. And she'll say all kinds of things to him. Say, no, this time, I'm serious, Charlie Brown. I I'll, I'll, won't pull the football back. And what does she do every single time she pulls the football? So there's this thing called misplaced trust. But here's what I want us to think about the question today as we look at the uh, the death and the burial of Jacob. What does or what could active Faith and trust look like. What does active faith and active trust look like in our lives? Or what could it? Because there's faith and trust, there's misplaced faith and trust, but there's this thing called active faith and trust. And so too, I thought about this morning is you being here this morning. We are in this habit and we get up on a Sunday morning and we get dressed uh, and we come and we gather together. Well, I think ultimately we do this in some weeks. Yeah, it seems great. In some weeks, maybe it just seems, well, I don't know what's going on anymore. But we do this because hopefully we believe there is something going on. There's something bigger than ourselves. There is some importance of us gathering together. And we're trusting that God's going to work all this out. Or you served Many were serving this morning and teaching and doing different things. And man, if you've never uh, taught upstairs in the preschool, I'm sure that can be challenging. But hopefully we've got an active faith and trust that says, you know what? What I'm doing is actually going to make a difference one day. Teaching third graders and hopefully they're going to remember the things that I want to instill in them. They're going to remember me as a person that loved them and taught them. And that's an active faith and an active trust that all these could work together. And we're going to see this in Jacob's life. So Genesis chapter 49, we're going to start in verse 28. And this is how this begins. He says, and these were the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable for him. So here you have Jacob, his sons are gathered together. And I read this, I think he knows each of his sons personally. He says he gives them a blessing that is suitable for him. Well, then you see Jacob's final request, and it's in verse 29. Then he commanded them, and he said to them, I am to be gathered with my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Mokpili, in the east of Momre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess As a burying place. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. And they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it. Were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons. He drew up his feet into his bed. Breathed his last breath. And was gathered to his people. That Jacob with the last breath that he had, the last amount of energy that he could muster up, he makes this request to be buried in this certain, this specific place. And at first reading, it doesn't really seem like much, does it? It seems like his family's got this kind of family burial plot. And when he's about to die, he knows that. And he says, you know, just go bury me there next to my wife who's buried, you know, next to these people's married to this people. It was just kind of their family burial plot. But it is so much more than that. I think the picture is we see Jacob living and now dying with faith in the God of his grandfather, his father, and even him. Just think about it. He's in Egypt, and he wants to be buried in Canaan. Well, how in the world is that a picture of active faith and trust? Well, it goes back to the very first promise that Abraham ever received, that he was promised land. A unique land that God had picked out for him. So even though he is in Egypt and he dies, he wants to be buried in the land that he is believing and trusting that will be his and his descendants. That he want to be buried there. And I see that we see this picture of an active trust in God's promises. So in his last breath, Jacob makes this last request of faith and trust. And then notice what happens. Then Joseph, he fell on his father's face and he wept over him and he kissed him. And Joseph commanded the servants, the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. In fact, this is the only two times we see Jacob weeping. We see him weeping when his brothers were brought to him and there was the reunion and we see him weeping over the loss of his father. But this next part to me is something amazing because look at verse 3. Remember, you have this stranger, this foreigner living in Egypt and for 40 days were required for it to the embalming process to take place. For that is how many were required for embalming. And notice this, and the Egyptians were, wept for him 70 days. So not just him and his family or his family were weeping over him. It says all of Egypt, this foreigner, this man that was not one of their own. And notice it says they wept for, or they mourned for 70 days. What's important to know is that this process of of embalming and, and mourning was really based on how well you were uh, off financially. The Egyptians were masters at this. And, you know, if you weren't of a person of very much stature, they would wash your body and there would be time to mourn, maybe a week, maybe two. But the more that you had, the more elaborate the process was. But if the day ever came that a Pharaoh died, Egypt was required to mourn for 72 Days more than anyone else and here you see these Egyptians mourning for 70 days two days less than was required of the Pharaoh and I love that it says the Egyptians wept for him 70 days they were weeping over Israel well then Joseph noticed what he's going to do he's going to go to Pharaoh about his father's request Verse four says, when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh saying, my father made me swear saying I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. What is remarkable about this is that not anyone could go to Pharaoh. You couldn't just walk in and make a request of the most powerful man at this time in the world. But think about what went took place in order for that one moment. You're sold into slavery by your brothers. You're falsely accused by Pharaoh's wife. You're put in prison and you interpret a couple of dreams, and you're betrayed and left in prison. But soon he will rise to power and influence Egypt as a foreigner. All of that, God was preparing him for this moment to be able to have Pharaoh's ear. Notice what Pharaoh does in verse 6. And Pharaoh had answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. And so he grants the request. Then this most incredible scene happens. And Joseph went to bury his father. With him went up all of the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the households of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their their herds were left in the land of Goshen. So it's this massive procession of not just Joseph and his brothers and and, uh, their families, but it says all of Egypt, the servants and the household of the elders. There was this massive group that was leading out on this morning procession. But there's more. Notice in verse 9, he gets a royal procession. There went up with him both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great company. That this was a grand state funeral with a military escort. And when these, this group passed by, it would have caught the eye of everyone. And that's exactly what happens in verse 10. When they came to the threshing floor of Atod, which is beyond the Jordan. They lamented there with a great and grievous lament, lamentation because this is what Israel did. They mourned and they, they wept loudly. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And notice what happens. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of the uh, threshing floor of Atod, they said... This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. They're wondering what in the world is going on. Who in the world has died? And so what do they do? They rename the place Abel, Mizrahim, that is beyond the Jordan. They renamed the town that now means mourning of Egypt. Then goes on to say, Thus the sons did for him as they had commanded them. And they carried his son to the land of Canaan. They buried him in the cave in the fields of Mopele, On the east of Mamre. Mor- which Abraham brought with a field of the Ephraim the Hittite. To possess as a burying place. And after he buried his father Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers. And all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Two incredible things to see in this picture. is One is that this procession is going on and is so massive that they renamed it the Morning of Egypt. There's something else that's a little bit hidden there. And I want you to see this map. It's a crude map. I, I did the best I could with making the process of where they are in Egypt. And they're going to this place, to this certain cave in this land of Canaan. What do you notice about how they go? Notice they go a long way out of their way to basically circle back to almost, it would have been so much easier just to kind of head northeast, but they head south, they cross over the Jordan, they head north, and they cross back over the sea there. The last of the patriarchs, this is his burial procession. And they travel this kind of unusual route. What is amazing that Here you have Jacob, and he's got this belief that God is going to give them a land. So much so that he wants to be buried in that land. He's actively believing and trusting, this will be the land of my descendants and their descendants for generations and generations to come. And 400 years after that, after his death, that will be the exact same route that Moses leads the children out of Israel. They didn't know this was happening, but God did. And he leads them on a path that 400 years later, they will walk again. And so this ends with the burial of the last patriarch. And I don't want us to make this just about three men. But it's about who their God is. And so this is what I wrote down that I want to take from this series. The very first thing promised to Abraham was land followed by a promise of a people. That God said, go from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. What does Abraham do? He sets out for that land, not knowing where he's going, not knowing what's going to happen. And when he arrived in the promised land, the Lord commanded him, Abraham, to lift up your eyes and look from the place, from where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward, For all the land that you see, I will give you and to your offspring forever. Arise, walk to the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And what does Abraham do? He triumphantly began that tour of the land, and he stops at Hebron, and he builds an altar. But life for Abraham, we know it doesn't go as expected. Sarah is barren. And their small clan lived among many other people in the land. And Abraham became discouraged. So God took Abraham out from under the stars affirming, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. And Abraham's faith was then followed by this astonishing encounter as God as a flaming presence passed through the parts of a sacrificed animal confirming the promise that Abraham's descendants would possess the land after a 400-year journey in a foreign land and then depart with great possessions that they would be carrying back to their land. That Abraham's defining quality what is he believed both aspects of the promise with all of his heart, the certainty of a people and a land? And then God gives him the covenant of circumcision, where God affirmed the promise of people and the land again. Well, then we get the birth of Isaac, the promised one. And this further builds Abraham's faith. But then the most unthinkable thing happens. God called him. To place his son on an altar. But Hebrews 11 tells us. He says because he reasoned that God was able. Even to raise him from the dead. So what does Abraham do? He obeys. That Abraham was clinging to the promise of a people. And a land. And so therefore he has Sarah. When she dies buried. In the tomb that he had purchased. In the heart of the promised land. Abraham was so sure that his descendants would one day possess the land that he wanted Sarah's bones to be there when they arrived. His beloved wife's body entombed in Hebron. The center of the land was this public stake in God's promises against all present circumstances. So the tube of in Hebron, it became a monument of faith of Abraham and his children. So by faith, Abraham trusted God's promises to his descendants that they would inherit a land. By faith, Abraham traveled in the promised land for about a century, living as a man to whom it belonged. And by faith, Abraham purchased the cave in Hebron. By faith, he buried Sarah in that cave. And by faith, his beloved son Isaac buried him with Sarah there. And by faith, his grandson Jacob buried his father Isaac at Hebron. And Jacob, whose son would be the tribes of Israel, lived his life in full assurance of the promise of land. And by faith, Jacob believed that the land would be his descendants with an intensity equal to that of Abraham. So Genesis closes. With that picture of an active faith, that it will be 400 years later, they'll even carry out the bones of Joseph to be buried in that tomb. And so I wrote this to myself this week that a promise can only fully be experienced with active trust. And that's what I see in this picture of Jacob wanting to be buried there is this active trust in a promise. He believes will one day happen. And then I read through the scriptures, and there are countless promises for us to cling to this morning. But I want us to be thinking about as we enter into this Advent series what could or what should active faith and trust look like in your life? What does it need, and what could it look like in my life? Because there are countless promises for us to cling to. And when we read through these stories of these men, the greatest thing about it is not their faith, but it's who their faith is in. So I want to leave us with that question this morning, is what could or what should active faith look like in our lives? And that perhaps God might reveal that to us even through this season of Advent.